Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. It's not simply a matter of whether it happens seven times or 77 times or 70 times seven times, but according to Jesus, it's all about cultivating a way of life called forgiveness. That's the subject and the title of today's message, and it's based on Jesus' parable from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I ask you today, friends, are there any more difficult words for us to speak than these? I forgive you. You know, I must confess to you that whenever I approach a, a biblical text like the one we've shared this morning, I am frequently overwhelmed by the utter enormity of it in the face of reality. By that I mean, it's one thing, is it not, to hear Jesus teaching that if a brother or a sister sins against us, we are to forgive that person not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on the translation you read. But it, it, it's one thing to know that, but it's quite another for us to actually put that teaching into real life practice. I think, for instance, <clears throat> of the woman or the man who has suffered years worth of physical and emotional abuse at the hand of their spouse or partner. Is that person literally expected to forgive and forget? Or consider the parents and families of children who, who have been adopted or have gone through things that no child should ever have to endure. In all honesty, friends, as a grandparent, there's a very big part of me that wonders if forgiveness in such a situation is even possible. And yet if we are to take Jesus at his word in our reading this morning, not only are we to forgive those who sin against us, we are to do so without any hesitation and without limit. It's, it's one of the cornerstones of the Christian message. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's a cornerstone that is way too big for me. I can't always hold on to it the way I should, the way I know I should. Because more often than not, I struggle to rise to the challenge. That I suspect I'm not alone in that, am I? We don't even have to think in terms of such extreme scenarios to feel this enormity of what Jesus is asking. Almost all of us all we have to do is to consider the sins of thoughtlessness, verbal cruelty, and an uncaring spirit that has been done against us. The little slights and offensive that in and of themselves don't seem like all that much, but cumulatively have a way of wreaking havoc on relationships, uh, creating conflict that ends up festering war too long and, and much too deeply often to the point where it eats us alive. To bring this a little closer to home, 
Think for a moment of the worst thing that someone has ever said to you or done to you. For that matter, don't even consider the worst thing. Just think of someone who recently has hurt you by something they have said or done. And then if you got that in your head, then imagine you going to that person and saying, I forgive you. But more than just saying it, actually meaning it. Having it come, as the gospel puts it, from your heart. Think of that. And if you think of that, then you begin to get some sense of the enormity of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. Fact is, friends, this is one of those passages of Scripture that tends to weigh a ton upon our shoulders because this is one of those texts that has a way of exposing our weakness and we just can't avoid it. That's actually what's at the heart of the admittedly difficult parable that we are looking at this morning the deceptively simple man of a man who is forgiven a huge debt that he owes a king. 10,000 talents, we're told, and that's a huge amount by, by today's standards. This man, he's forgiven that huge debt that he's owed the king, and yet the same man refuses to show mercy to a fellow servant who owes him, by comparison, a paltry sum. An act for which in the end he's punished, he's thrown in debtor's prison and handed over to be tortured, it says. To be tortured until every denarii of the formally forgiven debt is paid off. And if that isn't disturbing enough, Jesus ends the story by saying, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Now, friends, this is a story that has a very clear moral. And we all know what that moral is, that those of us who have been forgiven ought to forgive. That forgiving 70 times 7 is not merely a suggestion, but it's an imperative and that there are consequences for a lack of mercy on our part. But what I would suggest to you today, as familiar as this teaching is to us, as disturbing as the parable seems to be at first read, there is more to it than just that. Because remember, as he so often does, Jesus uses this particular story to make a point about the kingdom of God. And in this case, what he's saying is that the kingdom is to be compared to this extraordinarily forgiving king who had mercy on his slave. The slave who had, in fact, run up this incredible, basically unforgivable, unpayable debt. So, Basically, what we have in the story is a remarkable evocation of the utter grandeur of God's incredible and limitless forgiveness. And we end up seeing this forgiveness in comparison to our own, which, as it turns out, is far, far less than, than that of God. 
In other words, and I think you've already figured this out, this is not a story that portrays you and me in the greatest of lights. Like Peter, we might well be interested in knowing what we're required to do or forgiving others is concerned. He's very anxious, as Peter always is. How often should I forgive, Lord? How often? As many as seven times? Now, what's interesting about this is that in the Jewish tradition of the time and still held by some Orthodox Jews today, um, you were only really required by the law to forgive up to three times. I remember an old friend of mine, uh, a Jewish rabbi, and uh, he was sharing in a group of fellow clergy people uh, about the conundrum in his life that he had uh, a family member who had egregiously sinned against him and his children. It was an ex-wife actually. And, uh, but over time, the ex-wife had come to herself, had realized her sins and had come to ask forgiveness. And my friend, the rabbi said, I don't know what to do about that because the law says, I after three, I can be done with her. You know, I just, you know, just let it go and let her go and that's the end of it. But she's coming to me now and asking me to forgive. What do I do? And so Peter's question, though a little bit uh, off the cuff and a little impulsive as Peter always is, it's a legitimate question. How many times do we need to be magnanimous about things before we can legitimately hold on to our well-deserved grudge? And here comes Jesus, who not only raises the three acts of forgiveness to seven, but then raises it to 77 and quite possibly 490. And then having said that, while their heads are just kind of exploding with that thought, he goes on to talk about a king, a king of all people, who easily forgives the debt of a slave on a scale that we cannot even begin to imagine. But that's the point, you see, of this story. It's a story about a God who is greater than our comprehension. This is a story about a God who is more forgiving than we deserve to be forgiven. Though we have run up this incredible debt of sin, though the conflict and separation that exists between us and God so often just seems to fester and worsen by what the old confessional refers to the devices and desires of our own hearts. Nonetheless, God still forgives and does so again and again and again, and again, and again, easily and joyfully erasing the debt that we've accumulated and working actively to reconcile us to him. What this is all about is God's forgiving heart, God's relentless determination to make us his own, and to bring us into the circle of his divine purpose. Bottom line, friends, is that we all stand in the need of forgiveness. And it is only by grace, manifest in divine forgiveness and in infinite love, 
that we are set free from the sheer weight of the moral debt that we owe God. But here's the irony of it, friends. All those things that are seemingly impossible for us to forgive in others are in the end a forgivable offense in light of what God has already forgiven us. What this remarkable little parable teaches us is that just as love given can be the only true response to love received, the only way we can adequately answer to God's forgiving heart is to rise to that challenge of forgiving others. Remember that passage from Romans that we talked about last Sunday? Oh, no one anything except to love one another. That is the debt that is to be paid. Love given in response to love received. And no, it's not easy. Let's be clear about that. It's not an easy thing at all for us. Nor is it usually a one-time effort. L. Gregory Jones, who is a professor of theology at Duke University, writes that forgiveness is not some, quote, isolated, occasional, heroic act, but rather it's a way of life. It's a constant practice of Christians. Its central goal, Jones goes on to say, is not to get over guilt. It is to reconcile. It is to restore communion with God, with one another, and with the whole creation. When we truly forgive others, We are reaching out to heal brokenness. We are doing what God has done for us, and we are participating in what God intends for us with each other. So in that regard, it is true. Forgiveness from our heart is a mandate as Christian. It is the commandment to love one another so that our joy may be full. And moreover, it is love that marks the beginning of new life, of changed heart, and of a better world. It happens when we forgive. You know, to tell this truth, to tell the truth, I have kind of debated a little bit whether or not to tell this story because Frankly, even all these years later, I still feel a little bit embarrassed by it. But I think I will share it with you this morning because this story serves as something of a parable for me about forgiveness and new life. You see, years ago when I was in college and very young and very stupid, I accused a good friend of mine, a girl I worked with, of stealing something from me. The details of what happened are unimportant except to say that my accusations were baseless and they really hurt my friend a great deal. Incredibly, incredibly stupid, friends. But we were kids and in those days I managed to do stupid in great abundance. (laughs) In pretty short order, when she confronted me with with how much I'd hurt her, I offered up what was a heartfelt apology. We made up and that was pretty much the end of it. (laughs) Except it wasn't. Except for the better part of a decade, friends, I never forgot what happened. 
I felt so bad about what I had done, accusing this sweet girl of being a thief. I mean, here I was, I was studying to be a minister for crying out loud. And I mean, what kind of Christian does that to a friend? What kind of pastor would I be if that's how I acted? And I always said that someday, if given the opportunity, I was gonna tell her again just how sorry I was that it ever happened. And, but since she'd gone on with her life and I'd gone on with mine, I doubted that I would ever get the chance. Well, as fate would have it, a number of years later, I did get the chance. She asked me to sing with her in church, believe it or not. <laughs> so while we were rehearsing, I mustered up the nerve to ask if she remembered what had happened way back when. Now, I don't know if she was being kind because at first she acted as though she didn't even know what I was talking about. But then as I began to remind her of the whole horribly embarrassing story, I began to see the tiny little bit of recognition in her eyes. And when I finally finished pouring my heart out, she just smiled. She put her hand on my arm and said, Michael, I forgave you for that years ago. Why are you still thinking about it? Friends, I am not kidding you when I say that at that precise moment, it was like the weight of the world was lifted up off my shoulders and was tossed away forever. I think about it now, so many years after the fact, and I, and I still realize not only what an incredible gracious gift that was to me, but also and especially what it says about the kingdom of God in our midst. What it says about you and me and, and our calling as Christians, who we're supposed to be as the church, and of our mission to to bring together those who are divided and conflicted and hurting under the shelter of bringing them in the shelter of God's infinite and redeeming love, dwelling together in great anticipation of the promised kingdom of heaven. I only say this to you this morning as because as I look out at all of you sitting in these pews every Sunday, as I imagine a lot of you online are sitting in your living rooms watching the service, I can say with almost absolute certainty that there are a lot of you who have come here this morning nursing grudges of every shape and size. I know how it goes because I've been there, folks. Someone was rude to you, never apologized for it. That so-called friend let you down broke a promise or betrayed you in a way that really damaged your friendship. Maybe you're mad at your spouse today or your family or your neighbors or your church because somewhere along the line they slighted you or ignored you or insulted you. Maybe they failed to be there for you the way they said that they would. And maybe they did it inadvertently, but maybe they really were being judgmental and mean. At any rate, maybe you're out there today and you're feeling hurt. Maybe you're angry. 
Maybe you're feeling confused. And honestly, you're sitting here and you're hearing all this stuff about forgiving 70 times seven, and you don't know what it is you're supposed to do about this. Well, friends, believe me when I tell you that this is the stuff that gray areas are all about. But it's precisely in the midst of this kind of hurt and confusion that Jesus comes to us, urging us to forgive as God has forgiven us. How many times do we forgive those who sin against us? Seven times? 77 times? 70 times seven? Might as well be 70 million. Because in Christ, the numbers don't matter. It's our way of life that does. Beloved, if you take nothing else with you today, take this. Forgiveness is our spiritual work. It is the music that we play before God. And sometimes it's a very, very hard song to sing. But as any musician will tell you, when you keep working on that song, when you, as they say, practice, 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 eventually we discover that beautiful melody that has always been inside of us, this wonderful song of love and mercy that God has intended for us to be singing all along. So might we learn to sing that way. So might we have the grace to forgive ever and always from the heart. Thanks be to God. Amen. And amen. And that's the message entitled, A Way of Life Called Forgiveness. It was recorded during our September the 17th service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road. And that's just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. Friends, we are a small, mighty, and spirited congregation, and we would love the opportunity to welcome you here. And I know you'll be glad you came. For now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. As always, I thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.